Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. everybody jj cooper kyle glazer here another baseball america podcast as we were supposed to take the week off but we can't because aj preller is not taking the week off and aj preller and the padres have done a lot this week the rays have you know big trade with the rays big trade with the cubs and we couldn't we couldn't get away we had to talk about it we wanted to talk about it and so here we are kyle we're sitting here and you are in SoCal, and I think it is fair to say it looks like right now that Southern California is going to be the center of the baseball universe in 2021 because we now have a Padres team that looks like that they are poised to try to give a uh, a significant challenge to the World Series, you know, the champion, the LA Dodgers. And after the U Darvis trade, after the Blake Snell trade, you do what you know you've done our Padres list for quite a while you've covered the Padres a lot what stands out about this to you that the Padres added two frontline starting pitchers without giving up most of their top prospects they did give up Luis Patino in the trade for Blake Snell and Luis Patino is one of the top pitching prospects in Major League Baseball but given Snell's contract given four pitches from the left side that are nasty given how well he responded coming back this year from the elbow surgery that affected him in 2019 it's a trade you make every day and then with the U Darvish trade you know I tried to thread this needle a little bit on social media seeing the Padres fans being celebratory and the Cubs fans freaking out look the Padres gave 
the Cubs for very talented young players, but also very far away young players. Three of them have not played a professional game. The one that has played a professional game, Jason Santana, has yet to play above rookie ball. And I think there's very much an argument to be made that those four players plus Zach Davies, while there's definitely some upside there, that does not equal you Darvish. So I really do feel like the Padres not only added two frontline players to their starting rotation, but they did so without giving up the majority of the impact prospects who will help them within the next two, three, four years even. I'll add to that. The Rays deal, I understand there are a lot of people upset about the Rays deal. The thing about the Rays deal, at least for that, is is that if you're Tampa Bay, you did get back. Luis Patino is the kind of cornerstone of a deal to get back. You at least can hope, not, not be confident, but you can hope that Luis Patino develops into a Blake Smell-type talent. The U Darvish-Victor Caratini deal, you're talking there about there, there's not really a hope. You are, it is possible. I'm not saying it's not possible, but none of the prospects that they got back in that deal are a cornerstone type guy that you get back in a major deal. That's much more of a salary dump. That's a, we would rather give away the best two major leaguers. Well, okay, Davies. Okay, two of the three most significant players in the deal to clear salary. And yes, they got prospects back, but those prospects are so far away. And let's just make it clear. Are prospects of the caliber that if you, you have a limited amount of money now to spend internationally, but every team has the opportunity to sign prospects of this caliber every year on the international market. This is not going out Again, if one of these players turns into the Fernando Tatis Jr. deal that the Padres flung, well, then the I, I look like an idiot a few years from now, and I'll, I'll own that. But this is the type of trade I understand. If I'm a Cubs fan, I look at this and say, so we're in a division that has no one who clearly is getting a lot better this season. We're getting We're seemingly actively trying to get worse. What I will say is, I was very surprised to see the Cubs move you Darvish to the Padres in a trade that did not include one of those top six, seven prospects in their system. Maybe it's an Adrian Morrison, who is still a prospect for us eligibility wise, having thrown less than 50 career innings or Ryan Weathers. Zach Davies is a very, very good pitcher. He is also only signed for one more year. And as we talk about these four young players, Reggie Preciado, Ismail Mina, Jason Santana, and Owen Casey, there's a lot to dream on. I really want to emphasize this. The fact that they were numbers 15 to 20 in the Padres system, those pure numbers don't really reflect their talent level. I put on Twitter last night, I could think of three teams off the top of my head where all four of them would be the top 10 in their system. And, and those three teams would be Nationals, Astros, and A's. All four of these guys would be top 10 in those three systems. Most middle-tier systems, Preciado would be in the top 10 discussion. You can argue that maybe one or two of the other guys as well. So th these are talented prospects, but again, 
there's so far to go. And a lot of it is you're dreaming on these guys. Again, three of them have yet to play a professional game. And while there's a lot to be bullish on, each of them also has a huge level of variance in the ways they can go. Again, Preciado, really good, instinctive young player, very smart and advanced for his age, has a lot of tools and, and some projectable physicality like, but he also struck out in almost 40% of his at-bats between the alternate training site and instructional league this year. And there's just so many different ways his body can go. He's really far away. You can't really say with any confidence, oh, he's going to be X or Y. You know, I've seen some people say things like, oh, none of these players will contribute to the Cubs until 2023. I mean, in a optimistic world, Jason Santana maybe gets to the majors in 2023, but Preciado, Ismail Mina, again, very young. You love the speed. No one's sure what the impact of the bat is going to be. Again, long, long way to go. Owen Casey, again, super young, a lot of power. Even the teams who really liked him acknowledge, hey, we're not sure what the contact is going to look like. And just to kind of make a point of how young these guys are, Owen Casey has struggled with high fly balls. I mean, just catching fly balls is something he's going to have to work on. That, that's the level we're talking about some of these guys. And again, that's not to say Owen Casey's bad or, or can't get there. It's just this is how young these players are. These are 17, 18-year-olds learning some of the basics of the pro game and, and have a long way to go. Again, I think it's optimistic to suggest, you know, Santana reaches the majors in 2023, and that's assuming nothing goes wrong. Casey Preciado Mina, I mean, if they click and if it all works, it's, it's a five to six year development window for these guys. And for the Cubs, again, there's a lot of risk in that. History tells us all four of these guys will not make it. You're hoping two of them do. And for a pitcher of you, Darvish's caliber, I understand what the Cubs did, shooting for upside, saying there's these four very talented young players. We think we can develop them and have things to work with. But that's a lot of chance to take on you, Darvish. I think you would like to have gotten someone who was, had similar upside but has already played a full season or two full seasons and has shown they don't just have raw tools, but that they've been able to transfer some of those into playable skills against upper-level competition. Again, these four guys might be able to do that, but we just don't know. They're so young, and there's so much development still ahead. I, I think you're being, again, that, that's, I would even describe that as a, as a reasonable but also a charitable definition. I don't think in a good system, none of these players are top 10 prospects. We do the BA grades. We finish these guys. We send them in the handbook. The highest graded guy in this is a 50 extreme. That is, if you say you take the entire prospect handbook, and again, it doesn't mean it's perfect, but if you said you take the, the grade, you take the risk, you combine it together, and you say, okay, I'm going to put a 15-point deduction on their, you know, their BA grade, their future role because of the risk, which is kind of the rough way of what we do it. The top rated prospect in this deal slots in somewhere around 360 among the 900 players are in the handbook. The comparison is in the Snell deal. Patino is a guy who's probably 
The best case scenario is he's a top 2025 prospect. The worst case scenario is he's more of a, oh, I mean, the worst case, he's going to be a top 50 prospect. There is a, 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 a canyon's worth of difference between, you know, getting a player of that. And, and by the way, Cole Wilcox in this deal also higher rated than basically on our board, you know, and on our ratings than anyone in the, uh, in the Cubs deal. These are, again, it doesn't mean that they can't work out, but one of the, you, and this is the logic. I'll get the logic of it. You, you go for upside that is far, far away because the deal, the players you're getting of that caliber, you can either do that or you can get much closer to the majors guys who have very little ceiling. If this is the caliber of prospects we're talking about in the deal, they went upside. That's a, you know, it's a logical approach to me to hope that you're going to get something impactful in 2024, 2025, rather than getting someone who's going to pitch a few innings in your bullpen in 2022. But I, to, to circle back to the Padres, the Padres in all of these deals, they, yes, they lost Patino. And again, what I'm saying, going back to the Clevenger deal, going back to the Nola deal, I'll put it this way to you, Kyle. Who, who did they lose in these trades who, considering the current makeup of this team now, you know, having added Snell, having added, you know, Darvish, who would play for them? Who have they traded away that you say, even with all the moves, and by the way, Caratini, it's a subtle part of this, but they, they kept Camposano too. They have three catchers now because Camposano did come up briefly last year. Who's the player that they've traded away? And they've traded away a roster's full of players now. But who's the player they traded away that you say, oh, you know what? If they had that guy, he was going to be an impactful player or even a useful role player for them in 2021-2022. Cal Quantrill, first and foremost. Andres Munoz coming back from Tommy John surgery, potentially with what he could bring in the bullpen. Ty France, very, very valuable hitter who can move around a little bit. And Zach Davies, again had a really good season, but you've replaced him with you Darvish and you add in Blake Snell. In terms of the way this roster is constructed, again, Quantrill and Munoz are two good arms who, you know, certainly could have helped them in the bullpen, but the guys they got back uh, in exchange for those guys and same with Ty France and some things he could have done for them hitting while moving around a couple different positions. I mean, none of those guys are guys that their loss is going to make or break this team. They traded those guys to get better. Patino, again, came up in the majors, wasn't quite ready for it, has a lot of talent, has a lot of promise. But again, him at the front of a package for Blake Snow, what they traded, you make that trade every day. And going back to the Cubs, a lot of those prospects talk about the grade on them now. 50 extreme, just to put that in layman's terms for a lot of people, is, hey, they have a chance to be an everyday player, but it's an extreme risk they'll get there, which is correct for players who have never played a professional game. Is there a chance that they exceed that? Sure. There are definitely people out there who believe that Preciado can be above that. There are people who believe that Ismail Nina has a chance to be above that. If Jason Santana and Owen Casey surprise some people and become more than that, it's certainly in the realm of possibility. I think saying this is a kid's ceiling when they're 17 is a little bit of a right. fool there. But realistically, 
the majority of how people see these players is, hey, they have a chance to be good everyday players, but given where they are, it's so hard to say with any confidence they will become that. And, and I think that's where the upside versus floor debate kind of loses steam in discussions about this trade. The Padres had players with similar or higher upsides who were also closer to the majors and the Cubs to, to me, if I'm the Cubs and I can't get one of those guys, I personally don't do this trade. And again, that's not because I dislike any of these four young players. I understand what the Cubs did, but when I go back to does it add up to equal you Darvish? And the answer is no. And for me, that's where, from a Cubs perspective, this becomes a tough pill to swallow. I feel like it, for them, needed to include one of Weathers and Morahone plus Cronenworth. It starts there, and if the Padres aren't willing to do that, you say, okay, we'll keep you Darvish. But clearly the Cubs are making moves that are largely rooted in their desire to cut payroll, and that was very clearly a factor here. And, and that also means it is kind of taking them out. It's not taking them uh entirely out of contention in a what should be just to be honest one of the weakest divisions in baseball in 2021 but it is it is absolutely a move if i'm the if i'm a cardinals fan i'm thrilled today if i'm a, a reds fan you know it's been a pretty rough offseason if you're a reds fan i'm thrilled because if i'm a brewers fan i'm thrilled if i'm a pirates fan i'm like none of this matters we're not going to contend in 2021 anyway but if i'm a fan of one of those teams yes that they they already were making moves but this is a move that does that clearly makes them worse significantly worse in 2021 and doesn't make them better in 22 23 that then perfect segue to the raise move we've had a fun debate you know d- discussion on slack and all over the last few days I get also, if I understand completely the logic of the Rays were in the World Series last year, and since then, they have traded away the best pitcher they had on that starting pitcher and that staff, and they also did not exercise you know, the option for Charlie Morton, who then went off and got the exact same money in another, you know, with the Braves. Those are the pitchers who started 10 of the 20 postseason games for them. They literally jettisoned half of their postseason starts by choice, not because they lost a guy in free agency, not because there was, you know, injury or anything like that. They have made that decision. And undoubtedly, that makes them less likely holding on to those players would have made them more likely to return to the world series in 2021. This is the thing the Rays do. And there is absolutely a payroll component to this as well. The numbers we're hearing are maybe they want to try to keep their payroll under 60 million, which I know that there was a pandemic last year, but 60 million, you know, an opening day payroll is a, uh, a shockingly low number in, in 2021, I would say, uh, especially for, you know, over a full course of a full season. The thing I will say, though, is that at least in their case, they did bring back players who you say, uh, Luis Patino, Cole Wilcox, you know, they did bring back players in this that are 
premium guys. Cole Wilcox was a third round pick, but he got paid first round money. Luis Patino is one of the better pitching prospects in baseball. From that perspective, I don't think you're a big fan of this move, but I guess the way I'll phrase it is, does it look better a couple of days later because Blake Snell, you Darvish, and now we look at it, it's like, wow, they got a lot more for, for Blake Snell than the, uh, than, than the Cubs got for you Darvish and Victor Caratini. I don't feel that way because the Rays, just by virtue of the fact they had the best record in the American League last year and were in the World Series, were more primed to compete than the Cubs are. And they actively hurt their chances to compete. From a pure baseball perspective, I get the trade. Luis Patino, as you mentioned, is one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Cole Wilcox is essentially the Rays adding a second first-round pick to their draft this year. Cole Wilcox was a first-rounder on talent. He got paid as a first-rounder. He fell just because there were some concerns about his signability as a draft-eligible sophomore. So if you have one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, you add essentially a second first-round pick. Francisco Mejia, it's been kind of funny to me watching people poo-poo him. The one time Francisco Mejia actually got regular, consistent at-bats, he was one of the best hitting catchers in Major League Baseball. Padres started making him their primary catcher June 18th, 2019, and from there through the end of the season, interrupted by injury a little bit, but... He hit 297, 349, 494. Again, the one time he's had consistent at-bats, he was one of the best hitting catchers in Major League Baseball. And some people will say, oh, that's a small sample size. Well, it's a larger sample size than his 2017, 2018, and 2020 combined. So if you want to say his success is a small sample size fluke and throw it out, you also have to throw out his struggles. And again, what happened in 2020, I, you know, I made sure to write this in my analysis. I saw some other people completely gloss over it, which made no sense to me. Again, he was really good in 2019 as a hitter. 2020, he got off to a slow start, like dozens of other major leaguers. Then he hurt his thumb and was out for pretty much the entire rest of the year. Came back briefly. And when he came back, his thumb was bothering him so much that he's a switch hitter. He couldn't hit from the left side. He was batting right-handed only because his thumb was bothering him so much. So again, I get it. You add Patino, Wilcox, a guy who has hit the one time he was given consistent major league at-bats. His defense needs a lot of work, but again, young catcher who can hit, I get it. And you add Blake Hunt, who was a top 10 prospect and one of the better farm systems in baseball. From a pure baseball talent-for-talent trade, I get it. The Rays did okay. But from the perspective of you have a chance to compete for a World Series in 2021. And again, it's not like the Rays had a bunch of guys and they were set to compete in 2021 and 2022, but looked like they were going to fall off a cliff. They had an incredible amount of talent already in their farm system. What they needed was major league talent. You build off of reaching the World Series. You don't sell off after doing that. And to me, they reduced their chances of competing in 2021 significantly with this trade. And I personally do not believe the gain in their chances in 23, 24, 25 and beyond is proportional to that reduction. I think they significantly reduced their chances of winning and competing in 2021 and and 2022 for that matter. And the gain in their outlook for 23 and beyond 
Is it a little brighter? Sure, but I don't think it matches how much they lost in their ability to compete this year and next year. And I follow that. And the reality of it is, is that when I say I like it more for the Rays than most, I think part of that does come back to if I'll just be blunt about it. If the Pirates made this move, I would hate it. And I know the Pirates have a new regime, but now that, you know, then what they had when they made the, 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 the Chris Archer trade that, that basically led to them having a new regime in some ways. But the Rays do this as well as anyone. It is absolutely true. I don't disagree with all your points. The Rays' approach absolutely seems to be about extending the window. And, and we can debate about how much this extends the window, but I, I do think it does. Like, again, this is the Rays' approach year after year seems to be that they take players at their peak value or right around that, and at the point where they are expensive, and they try to turn them time and time again into players whose peak value is two, three, four years away. And they try to, by doing so, I mean, it is an arbitrage type model. It is absolutely, I could see it being utterly infuriating to a fan because for one, if you're a, again, if you are one of the unfortunately few kids in the St. Pete area who are diehard Rays fans, I wish there were more, but if you are, Blake Snell is one of those players that you have been able to kind of latch on to year in, year out. And there haven't been that many of those. Look at the, look at the Rays roster from 2017 and look at the Rays roster for 2021. Kevin Kiermeyer, at least for now, is on that list. After that, you start running out of players, again, from five years ago who were on this team. They turn over the roster very quickly. And and the thing about it is, is that one of the things I will say with this is like, this is where I want to give utter credit to the Padres. The Padres have used the deepest, one of the deepest farm systems in baseball to massively improve their major league club and do so amazingly in a way that the players that, again, Patino may fit in this group, but to hold on to CJ Abrams, who could be a, uh, massively impactful player for them in a couple of years to hold on to Mackenzie Gore, who could be in the rotation in 2021 to hold on to Adrian Morahone. to, you know, there, there are guys to hold on to Luis Camposano. They've held on to the guys who you're like, yeah, we can't, that's the guy that hurt us. If we lose nothing against the Josh Naylor's of the world and the Cal Quantrill's of the world. No. Those are the players who it's like, we can go out and we have other players in our system who can do what they do. They don't, they, 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 Gabriel Arias, good player, good prospect. But CJ Abrams, if you said, which of these guys do you want to keep? You want to keep CJ Abrams if you can. They've done that. The Rays challenge now, and this is the challenge that they've accepted and they have pulled through many times before, to have five middle infielders who are major league caliber, who are in AAA or the majors and double AA, AAA majors, that doesn't win you more games in the majors than having two to three really good ones. It gives you some help in case there's an injury, but they're going to have to, with all these moves, they're going to have to keep making moves because right now you look at them and they had a rash of, of elbow injuries last year. You look at their rotation right now and you say, okay, who's fronting this rotation 
And there's a lot of questions right now. And they, now the thing that they may end up doing with this is now that they've acquired all this prospect capital, if you told me that they go out and they may swing some more moves and they end up adding, you know, a, a player or two who all of a sudden kind of fits that role, wouldn't shock me at all because that's also something the Rays do. The Rays actually use their prospects often to acquire other teams' players as much as they do. You know, you look at how many of these Rays guys are homegrown. It's not a homegrown lineup. It's not really a homegrown rotation either. So they, it's, it, there's a lot of ways that they use this. But there's, you have to say if they're looking at 2021, they are in the not yes finish category. Whereas the Padres, okay, just to, to throw it back to them for a minute. Are they done now? Is there anything we haven't even talked about that they also they also added a starting middle infielder this week? So are are they done or is there still more work to be done? I know of at least one other trade that is being discussed that would involve them moving more prospects. However, it's just a discussion. It seems like there's a little bit of a lean that probably not going to do it now that they've made these additions, but it's, it's something that's been discussed and we should never count out AJ Preller and his proclivity for making trades. There are certain things they needed a backup catcher because Camposano does need more time in the minors and he's dealing with a potential legal issue. They did that in bringing Victor Caratini, who's someone the Potters had actually liked for a while. They'd kind of targeted a little bit for a while. And uh, the fact he's you Darvish's personal catcher really just makes this deal that much better. They needed to explore a utility option. They feel like they found that a little bit with Ha Sung Kim between him and Jake Cronenworth. I want to get into him a little bit deeper later in this podcast. There's still some arms that would help them in the bullpen. That's something that they could still make additions to bolster their team. So I'm not going to sit here and say they're done, but these were the big moves. Watch, I say that and then they go do something else. But these were the biggies. And again, I, I want to go back to the Padres. They were able to take advantage of the fact the Rays, because of their market limitations. I mean, let's just be clear here. Their payroll for 2021 with Blake Snell was estimated with arbitration raises to be around 60 million. Trading mm-hmm. Snell, that number drops to 49. I mean, if you can't even field a $60 million payroll as the defending American League champions, it's just another data point in favor of Tampa Bay not being a viable major league market, or at least the stadium they're in, the location they're in, and this just not being viable. And then with the Cubs, again, Tom Ricketts made some statements during the shutdown about how much money the Cubs and other teams were losing. I will say the veracity of those statements should be challenged aggressively. But a cynicist view would be that those statements were made to lay the groundwork for the Cubs to cut costs. And we've seen that they laid off a number of people in their front office, scouting, even media relations. They have discussed potentially trading Chris Bryant. Now they've moved you Darvish. So At the very least, it's clear the direction they are going and are trying to go in terms of shaving dollars off of their expenses. And the Padres were able to take advantage of that and acquire two standouts without giving up the best of their farm system for the most part. Again, I think from a pure baseball perspective, the Snell trade makes a little more sense 
And again, the Darvish trade, you never know. Maybe Reggie Preciado pops. Maybe Ismail Mina pops. Maybe Jason Santana pops. All that is very possible. Again, I really want to emphasize these players have talent. They're not nobodies. They're not organizational guys at the lowest levels of the system. It's just when three of the four have yet to play a professional game, they're a very long way away if they get there at all. And that's a level of variance that to me is too much to accept for a pitcher of Darvish's caliber. Okay. So let's talk about Kim. You know, they, as you said, they, they needed a utility and effectively with this addition, they've done so partly because Jake Cronenworth, Jake Cronenworth, they, I know there's a lot of talk about he can play in the outfield. Jake Cronenworth can play pretty much everywhere. He's played pretty much anywhere. He's played going back to his days at Michigan. I mean, again, in addition to the fact he also can, can, can pitch you the eighth if you needed to in a, in, a, in a nightmare situation. But he's played first. He's played second. He's played short. This is a – if you want to, he is your Swiss Army knife that you can plug in almost wherever you want and not trying to take a young guy and put him in a role he's never done before – this is a role Jake Cronenworth has done during his career. You know, it's funny. Last year when Jake Cronenworth was off to his sensational start, he tailed off in the second month of the shortened season, but a sensational start. I was talking to an evaluator who had seen him when he was in the race system at Durham. I'd seen him in the race system in Durham. We talked about him. We both liked him, but Scout joked, he's like, yeah, I certainly didn't have him as an 80-grade first baseman. I mean, <laughs> he can do a lot of different things. I asked uh, some Potters officials this specifically, you know, hey, what's, what's the plan? Does Kim become your everyday second baseman? You know, is Cronenworth a utility guy? And the response was, you know, we haven't even really gotten that far. The mindset is just, let's just add talented players and let them compete and see what happens. So they feel like, Hassan Kim could be their starting second baseman, and that moves Jake Cronenworth into a utility role, or they feel like he could be kind of a multi-positional regular in the vein of a Chris Taylor. They're open to both possibilities and see a lot of value in both possibilities. It's been kind of fun for me with MLB being shut down in the spring. Uh, part of what I did was I dove into the KBO a little bit, just given that was the highest professional league playing back in May. And I spoke to a lot of scouts before the year just saying, hey, who are the top prospects in, you know, in this league that could move to MLB, whether it's next year or years to come? Kim came back consistently. This is the best guy. This is the best guy. And the track record of Korean position players who signed from the KBO, not, not the guys who signed as amateurs, but the guys who signed out of the KBO, it is not great in terms of offensive production. It's a pretty huge jump. Again, Shinsu Chu, G-Man Choi, those guys signed as amateurs. So it was a little bit different. They came up in stateside domestic developmental system. So with Kim, there are always going to be questions about, okay, what's it going to look like when he's facing 93, 94, 95 every day, just because he's never faced it. But evaluators feel reasonably confident that he has a good swing, he's twitchy and athletic, and that over time, those ingredients will help him make the adjustment and be, again, I've received grades as high as an above average hitter. There is some pull side power there. No one expects him to approach the power numbers he put up in the KBO. 
the offense in the KBO was actually up across the board this year. And more than a few evaluators I spoke to uh, in December said they felt that the KBO had gone back to the livelier ball. Not speaking about Kim specifically, but just in general, they were saying there are some fly balls to right field that are going out. So the power grade on him didn't change a whole lot. When I talked to scouts about him in May versus December, they said, no, it's still that probably 12 to 15 home run power range and maybe a little more. Again, he's going to get some road games in course field, chase field, pull side power as a right-handed hitter plays in Petco Park. So maybe he gets to more, but that's the range we're talking about. It's not going to be 30 home runs like he hit in the KBO this year. And defensively, he's very versatile. I've seen some other people write that he might be limited as a shortstop. I dove in with evaluators in the Pacific Rim, employed by major league clubs for months, different teams, different evaluators, different experience levels, different track records of successfully bringing players over from Asia. And it was consistent. Yes, this guy can play shortstop. He can be a solid shortstop. He's a good athlete. He's versatile. He played third base in the KBO as well. He actually hasn't really played second base a whole lot in the KBO. So it will be a bit of a new position for him. He played briefly there in 2014, but everyone sees the athleticism for him to do it. He's a good base fielder as well. I'd gotten some above average to plus run grades on him when I made calls in May. Apparently this year, it was a lot more average run times, but he gets good jumps. He has good instincts, steals bases efficiently. He'll show you some above average speed. So the overall point is this is a well-rounded player. He can hit for average. He can hit for some power. He can play a lot of different positions. He can run. He's got enough arm. Um, Again, it's generally been 50 to 55 grades on the arm, but that's, that's enough. And the Padres will deploy him however he shows them he's best suited to be deployed. And that's what they value. They see a guy that can do all these things. And and they also believe that he can potentially play some outfield as well. And he apparently has voice support for, yes, I'm, I'm down. I'm ready to try and give that a shot if that's what you need. So in some form or fashion, one of Cronenworth or Kim will be kind of their multi-positional regular and one, they're starting second baseman, or they could end up both being multi-positional regulars who split the reps at second base. The Potters have a lot of different options, and they feel like they added a really good player. Um, I do need to say that one thing that came up consistently, including from evaluators who are highest on Kim to those who are lowest on him, was that there will be an adjustment period. And Again, you never say never, but most expect there will be some bumps and bruises in his first year. Offensively, again, he's going to be walking into a different world of velocity. And even defensively, a couple scouts have noted that balls get on infielders a lot harder in the majors than they do in the KBO. And sometimes there's a little bit of an adjustment period there too defensively. So it could be rough. There might be some bumps and bruises making the adjustment, but over time, they believe he will adjust. He has the athleticism. He has the twitch. He has the instincts. He has the makeup. He has the skills. He has the tools. So that's where there was a lot of value in giving him a four-year deal. This wasn't someone you wanted to sign to a one or two-year deal. Um, but a lot of people felt that if you gave him four or five years over time, the investment would pay off. And he's young enough that you're doing so and still getting, you're paying for basically what should be the peak years of his career, which is significant. The other thing that stands out to me is, is that to have two guys with some positional versatility like that, the depth that the Padres are developing by 
essentially adding on top of, they already had a second baseman, but one with positional versatility. They add another infielder with positional versatility. Obviously, Manny Machado can play, you know, you, you want him at third, but if you had to, you could play him at short, but you've got him at third. You've got two other guys now who can play short in some way. If there's an injury, if one of, if Kim or Cronworth goes down, you have a regular that you can play at second base every day. If something happens at first base, which we just said, you could put Jake Cronenworth to be an exceptional defensive first baseman, you know, and his bat could play enough to do so while playing Kim. They have these multi options, which again is what you're looking for. And they also, they now have rotation depth as well, because they're not talking about with the moves that they have made, even with Clevenger being out for the 2021 season, they're not looking at saying they need Mackenzie Gore and Adrian Morahone. And there's no and. It's that they need between all of their options, and they have a number of options. They need one of those guys to step up to be their fifth starter. And again, you always use more than five in a year, almost without exception. But they're not asking any of those guys to be Ryan, you know, none of these guys, Ryan Weathers, none of these guys to be a a frontline guy. They're asking these guys to be in a supporting role and kind of get comfortable in the majors. And they have the depth now to do so. And again, we're not just talking about for 2021, but we're talking about for, this is a team that pretty much is pretty well set for 22 and 23 as well. Yeah. So a big component of at least 2021 is going to see what Denelson Lamette is able to give them. He had a PRP in October. He obviously missed the entire postseason. So we know Clevenger is out for the year, but you start a rotation with Darvish and Snell. If Lamette is healthy, you look at 4-5, Chris Paddock. Morhoon took some steps forward last year. You hope he can take another step. Joey Lucchese is still around. You have, again, as you mentioned, Mackenzie Gore, depending on what he looks like in spring training after needing to work on some things mechanically at the alternate site. They have some options, but I will say that if Lamette can't go or this arm issue turns out to be something bigger, then you are going to be asking from a fair bit from these young starters who may or may not be ready. And that's where I will be curious to see. You asked if the Padres are done. I think there are Areas they could still potentially add if they felt the need to do so. If that's one more back-end veteran arm who they just feel a little better about being able to give them consistent average major league caliber innings or helping out in the bullpen, I I think those would be reasonable moves to make, especially since the narrative now is the Potters are going for the Dodgers. And there's no question that the Dodgers are the kings of the hill. The Padres, by adding these frontline starting pitchers, have closed the gap. I think that one of the Dodgers' biggest strengths is the depth. They have David Price coming back. They have six legit, proven, major league caliber starters with a couple more guys on the way. So they have more rotation depth for 21 than the Padres do, just, again, given Clevenger's out for the year. And Lamette's health status is a little bit up in the air. But once we get to 2022, and assuming all those guys are healthy, Yes, then it starts to really stack up, and and the Padres, especially then, I think will be in very good shape. Again, assuming Clevenger returns from TJ without any issues and and Lamette is fully back. We will see. There was one other move. We don't want to overlook it. The the Nationals also, the the Pirates are uh, 
are selling off a little as well. The Nationals added Josh Bell in a, uh, in a to be honest, a move that was the most significant move of December until the Blake Snell and Hugh uh, Darvish moves, you know, the, uh, late December, I should say, until they, it's been kind of overshadowed, obviously, by these more recent moves. But what, what did you think of that, Kyle? The Josh Bell trade, I actually thought this was, I mean, gosh, this might have been the biggest steal so far of the offseason, even more than the Darvish trade, which again, I at least feel like, okay, the Cubs did get a, a solid major league starter who is a back-end guy for most people, but he'll be the second best starter on the Cubs behind Kyle Hendricks. I feel like this was the steal of the offseason so far in terms of trades with Josh Bell. Again, Eddie Yeen, maybe in three or four years, proves to be something. Will Crow, the reviews are, are very, very lukewarmish. Fifth starter is kind of the best you get. And for a low-level lottery ticket and a short-term fifth starter, you got a middle-of-the-order masher. And again, I think people are kind of cherry-picking which portions of a season they want to kind of prove their point. When you look at Josh Bell over the course of his entire career, this has been a above-average offensive performer who at his peak has been a middle-of-the-lineup force and, oh, by the way, is still in his prime and a lot of people are talking about the, how he didn't perform in 2020. The entire Pirates offense under a new front office regime and a new coaching staff. Now, again, they kept hitting coach Rick Eckstein, but they brought in some other new coaches. The entire offense fell off a cliff. Josh Bell went way backwards. Adam Frazier, way backwards. Brian Reynolds, way backwards. Gregory Polanco dropped like a rock. Kevin Newman dropped way down as well. Brian Hayes came up and had a good 24 games, but the guys who were there start to finish the full season, for the most part, the entire team dropped off. And I remember speaking with a scout who had Pirates organization coverage this year, and with the caveat that it's all video scouting and there's only so much you can glean from video, he noticed a team-wide approach change, and it led to all these players who are good hitters dropping like a rock with the exception of Colin Moran, the entire Pirates offense went backwards. And so I do think that going to DC where he can get with an organization that is winning games has shown it can develop really good hitters offensively in the prime of his career. I think filled their biggest need with a potential huge bounce back player on an affordable contract for two players they don't need. And this is the type of move the Nationals should be making. They do not have a very good farm system. They have two pitchers at the top who are very promising with Jackson Rutledge and Cade Cavalli. But beyond them, everyone should be available for trade to fill in the holes on a major league roster that has a lot of talent. And I think to me, this was actually, of all the trades we talked about, the biggest steal and the one that, I just kind of looked at and said, hey, the Nationals, yeah, that, that's a big win for them. The summary, that to me, is a perfect summary of all this. This is the offseason where if you're a team that is willing to add payroll, you can do so very inexpensively. And it's not just on the free agent market, but it's also probably even more so 
just looking to, if you are willing to acquire major league caliber players, you know, and who have contracts that are beyond that are arbitration, they've already hit arbitration or beyond they are available. And again, that these are multi, the, the Darvish trade and the bell trade are, are two, I would say significant examples of that. And I look at it, the, the other thing that stands out to me, you know, to kind of wrap this up is that you look at the Padres, the Padres payroll next year, having signed Machado and do remember Eric Hosmer also on massive deals and Will Myers has a pretty large deal. And now they've gone out and they've gotten Blake Snell and they've gotten you Darvish with all that their payroll's not looking, they're not bump, bumping 200 mil this year. It's looking, it's probably going to be in the 160 or so range right now. That's, that's a significant payroll, but that's not, that that's not something where they're basically sitting in, you know, at, at even the top, what has been traditionally the top of the major leagues. They're now, swimming with the big fish but they're doing so they've made all these moves and they've done so and it's not something where we're talking about that they're going to be looking at you know significant luxury tax and draft pick penalties for for the spending that they've done yeah and again some of their long-term payroll commitments it's going to depend on if eric hosmer and manny machado exercise their opt-outs when that time comes but you're right the padres have Bumped up payroll. Peter Seidler became the front man this year. He was always the money for the most part in regards to Padres ownership, but Ron Feller stepping down as chairman, Peter Seidler taking the lead here. This is someone who has the financial means to support a larger payroll. He's a very, very wealthy man. He and the rest of the Padres organization has sensed they have a wonderful opportunity given the players they have right now and the general market conditions around Major League Baseball, they have sensed this is a great opportunity to continue to grow and, and become not just a playoff team, but a true World Series contender. And they're doing what they feel they need to do to get there. And I think that should be applauded. They're going out and acquiring guys. And we talk about market size and teams that have to operate on the margins. I just keep going back to, I've studied this over and over and over again. I put out a story last year. There is a ceiling that you will hit if you don't spend a certain amount of money. And this is especially true with the Rays. 25 of the 26 champions of the wild card era were the top half of MLB and payroll on opening day, the year they won. The star power and depth you need to win a World Series costs money. And even for the teams we consider small market, that's true. I go back to the Royals in 2015. That's a small market team. But when they sensed it was time to compete, they jacked up their payroll. They were 12th in opening day payroll that year and added Johnny Cueto and Ben Zobrist at the trade deadline. If they don't acquire Johnny Cueto and Ben Zobrist, they do not win the World Series. And frankly, they don't win the World Series if they don't pay the players they had before that as well and jack their payroll up a little bit. If the Rays continue to operate as they are, and they might very well have to because of their market condition, we can talk as much as we want about war per dollar and surplus value at the bottom of the roster, but they're going to hit a point where the other team on the field is just better than they are. We're dealing in probabilities, obviously. There, you know, it's, it does not mean they can't win, but it does mean that they're less likely to because, like you said, they, they did make it to the World Series. They did have the best record in the AL. So that means right there, 
they were essentially two wins away from winning the World Series. So they can. At the same time, the team they ran into in the World Series, the Dodgers, do everything like the Rays do. They are as when it comes to development, when it comes to scouting, when it comes to player acquisition, all those things, the Dodgers do that at a top-notch level. And oh yeah, by the way, on top of that, they also are the team that can go out there and add Mookie Betts, one of the easily, comfortably, one of the five best players in baseball at the worst. If you're being conservative, he's one of the five best players in baseball. And they can add Mookie Betts, and then they can re-up Mookie Betts to ensure that they have him for the long term. It is always going to be hard for a team that is not willing to pay Blake Snell $40 million over the next three years to a compete with a team that is willing to pay Mookie Betts 30 plus million dollars a year over the next three years. And that is something that is the challenge that not just the Rays, but again, it is the, the, the system kind of that we face right now, which is, is that you have a lot of teams right now, and this is not for today's pod, but you have a lot of teams right now after a bad year financially, that is not buying into everything the owners say or anything. Clearly, if you go to a year that you do not have ticket revenue, financially 2020 was a year that was rough for everybody. Players too, because players also, they did get prorated salaries, but they didn't get their full salary. And by the way, if you have a five-year major league career and you lose one of those years, especially if you have a five-year major league career and one of your two years that you get paid at a significant amount, two or three, because you've hit arbitration, was wiped, 100 games of that was wiped away last year, that just took a massive impact on your long-term career earnings. All of those things happened last year. But that said, you have teams right now who it's not a question of whether they have the means or not. It is the idea that, that again, we have the entire National League Central right now. I don't know if there's a team in the National League Central that's not retrenching which is crazy that you have an entire division that it is very possible that you will have an entire division that when opening day 2021 arrives at the point we stand right now, you could argue that every team in the division is worse off. Maybe not the pirates, maybe, but every, if you throw the pirates in there, it is possible that every team in that division will be a worse team than the team that started the 2020 season. I don't know when that's ever happened that you could say an entire division all got worse over an off season. And this is where the teams who are willing to spend can take advantage again. You know, the Padres are a team that historically has not swam in the upper half of major league payroll, but given how many teams are seeking to shed salaries, shed really not just salaries, but expenses any way they can. I laid some of that out with, draft savings with deferring international bonus money. We're seeing cuts across the board, scouting staffs and business side. A lot of teams are looking to shed some expenses and for the teams who are willing to add a little bit, they can get significantly better. And the Padres are a team that is one of the few doing that. Again, spending money does not guarantee success. I cannot emphasize that enough. But we have seen that the teams who are successful there is a threshold. They come from a pool. And if you're not in that pool, history tells us winning the World Series is more of a pipe dream more often than not. And you go back to the Rays and Blake Snell with that. I mean, he's making 
$40.8 million over the next three years. If you can't afford that for a front of the rotation starter, that's problematic. It's going to be tough, but the Padres clearly became a better team. They took on salary. The Rays did not become a better team in the short term, whether they became a better team in the long term. I think if they did, it's they already had a pretty wide window in the long term. I don't know how much wider this thrusts it open. And the Cubs, they became a worse team for 2021. There's a chance it makes them a better team in 2026, 2027. But again, it's a very remote chance given how far away these players are. There's no question one team clearly got better here, two didn't. And the Nationals got better too. I think, again, that actually to me was the biggest heist of any of the trades we're talking about. So some teams are getting better. Some teams aren't as we see every offseason. And now we just have to see how the rest of it plays out. You know, it's, it's funny as we record this, a lot of free agents are yet to sign and, and there's still a lot more trades that could happen. So the offseason isn't done and we'll have to see how these teams stack up once the offseason is actually complete because there's still a lot more players who are going to sign, a lot more players who are going to move and I think only then can we truly evaluate where the Padres, Rays, Cubs, Nationals, and Pirates really stand in the Major League Baseball packing order. Well, we uh, this is probably our, our, our podcast for the week analyzing trades, but who knows? Because uh, as we said, A.J. Preller and some others stay very, very busy, even if it is the week between Christmas and, and New Year's. So for Kyle, I'm JJ here on the Baseball America Podcast. Thank you for the download. If you get a chance, please feel free to, uh, to write a review at whatever your favorite podcast uh, catcher is out there, whether that is uh, Apple you know, or Stitcher or Google or, or whatever. But for Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.